You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. Tonight, we are continuing in our series on the book of Genesis. I don't know about you, but I am really, really enjoying this series. I have never preached through the book of Genesis before. In fact, I was sharing with somebody last Sunday night that several months ago when I was kind of planning things out and I was praying and asking God where we were headed and what we were doing, um, he told me, he said, well, why don't you preached through Genesis, and I really, I believe, almost verbally responded to God, are you serious? Uh, Because the book of Genesis typically isn't one of those, hey, let's preach through Genesis. I mean, that's the book of Philippians. That's the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. That's the book of Revelation or even the book of John. Those are the books that a pastor would gravitate to, the books that we quickly grab a hold of and begin to preach. Those are the ones that we love. Genesis is right there before Leviticus, which is right before Numbers. You know what I'm saying. It's one of those that we we start on, but we kind of skim past some of the things to get to the next big story. So I began to say, God, really, you really want us to do this? And he began to impress upon me this idea of origin. It all started here. And if we really want to understand the rest of God's word, we've got to grab a hold of the foundation. There's a reason it says in the beginning. That's the foundation. That's the groundwork of which everything else was built upon. So for the last 11 weeks, we've been processing through this great book. And I'll tell you what, man. I have been slapped upside the head every single Sunday night. Has it impacted anybody else? Anyone else learn a thing or two in the book of Genesis? What a great, great, great book it is. Well, tonight we're continuing in this study. We're going to process through this book slowly, one chapter at a time. And we're going to find out what God's Word has to say to us. Now, tonight, let me be honest with you. I was going to skip chapter 10. I was going to just fly past chapter 10. We have moved beyond the flood. We've talked about the covenant and the rainbow. We've talked about Noah's sons and what happened when they found daddy in the tent naked. We talked about all that last week. But then you get to chapter 10 and suddenly for several verses you just have the descendants of this person and the descendants of that person and the descendants of the other person. And I'm like, I don't know how that can preach. Can I be honest with you? There, there are sometimes you look at things, and when you're saying the descendants of Japheth were Gomer, Mogag, and it goes on and on, how do you preach that? But I thought to myself, I'm going to go ahead and read through it again. And I'm going to see if there's anything in here that just really jumps out at me. I mean, I wanted to skip this because in chapter 11, we get to the Tower of Babel. That's the exciting stuff. You know what I'm saying? I mean, suddenly they try building a huge tower to reach up to God, and and they've got all these plans, and suddenly God goes, ha, 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 watch this. Man, what a great story. The power and the authority of God. But God said, no, 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 read through chapter 10. There's something there. And I'm like, but God, it's just the the lineage, it's the descendants of this person and that person. It's not real exciting. What, What can I preach out of this? And I began to read through Genesis chapter 10. Let me ask you a question. 
there's one person in this lineage. Here we are, we're, we're reading through all the descendants. We've gone through the descendants of Japheth. And then in verse 6, we get to the descendants of Ham. And as it's going through the descendants of Ham, it's listing one after another, not really pausing, not really taking a break. Suddenly, it pauses for a moment. Right in the middle of all of this lineage and descendants, suddenly it highlights right in the middle of this family tree a guy by the name of Nimrod. I've titled tonight's message, Are You a Nimrod? That'll preach right there, won't it? My wife said that I wanted to preach this message just so that I could say that. I believe this is the first time in 18 years or so of ministry, actually, wow, 20 years this year, 20 years of ministry that I've ever titled a message, Are You a Nimrod? I think the first time I've ever said Nimrod from the platform. How would you like to be called a Nimrod? Anybody in the house desire, you long for someone to go, you are such a Nimrod. Now see, now you're thinking that Putin's a good name, aren't you? You're welcome. I could have named you tonight. None of us want to be called a Nimrod. We associate the name Nimrod with a buffoon, with an idiot, with a moron, or even a fool. We say things like this. He is such a Nimrod. Not a name that we want to be called. But let me ask you this question again tonight. Are you a Nimrod? Now let's get back to the book of Genesis. Why is this man by the name of Nimrod? Why is this Nimrod highlighted? What is the reason for the pause in the family tree? What is the reason for the pause in the lineup of lineage, of individuals, of descendants? We'll take a look. Beginning in verse 8, it says this, Cush was also the ascendant, uh, ancestor of Nimrod, who was the first heroic warrior on earth. Since he was the greatest hunter in the world, his name became proverbial. People would say, this man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. He built his kingdom in the land of Babylonia with the cities of Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh. From there, he expanded his territory to Assyria, building the cities of Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, Kalah, and Rezin, the great city located between Nineveh and Kalah. Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. So let's look back for a second. We see here that Nimrod was a heroic warrior. God chose in breathing the word to pause for a moment to highlight this Nimrod, this heroic warrior, some translations say a mighty warrior, then it cont continues to describe him as the greatest hunter in the world. How many of you are hunters in the house? We have like two hunters. Wow, that's impressive. Would you consider, either one of you, would you consider yourself the greatest hunter in the world? How about the greatest hunter in Pettis County? What about the greatest hunter in Sedalia? What about the greatest hunter in this room? Ha <laughs> ha, it's one or two of you. Who's it going to be? 
Now, here it says, Nimrod is the greatest hunter in the world. None compares to Nimrod. People would cry out, this man, this man is like Nimrod. He's a great warrior. He's a mighty hunter. What a compliment that was. It would mean that you're an amazing hunter. So how, how did we shift from a Nimrod being a mighty warrior, the greatest hunter of them all, to a Nimrod being a buffoon? How did we make that transfer? I mean, they're not even similar. They're not even close to one another. Interestingly enough, I did a little bit of research this week to find out what was that change up because that really kind of struck me. How did we change that much from absolutely the most incredible warrior of all times to you are inept, you're a fool, you're an imbecile? Here's what I found out. In the 1940s, who was alive in the 40s? I, come on, I, I can see you. Maybe you remember this moment. A great role model made a simple remark that changed the idea of Nimrod for all time. Who was the role model? Anybody remember? I'm glad you asked. It was a conversation between these two great individuals. Bugs Bunny, this is a true story. I'm not making this stuff up. Between Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Or actually, it was the earlier version. Let's see the next slide. It's the earlier version of them. That was the 1940s version of Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Bugs Bunny takes a moment to ingest, call Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. Bugs Bunny was simply mocking Elmer Fudd's mighty hunting skills. Oh, you are such a Nimrod. Also, several times a Daffy Duck comes on the scene and makes similar comments referring to this mighty hunter, this Nimrod Elmer Fudd. So suddenly there was a transformation, a, a redefining of what was once a mighty warrior to the greatest hunter of them all to now a walking buffoon. This occurred simply because no one caught the joke. No one grabbed a hold of the sarcasm. If one of you that were alive in the 40s would have just spoken up, Nimrod would still be known as a mighty warrior, the greatest hunter in all the world, but instead, like Elmer Fudd, he's a buffoon. No one caught the joke. No one caught the sarcasm that was coming from this rascally rabbit named Bugs Bunny. So according to Google.com, if you look up the word Nimrod, you actually find two distinctly different meanings. Number one is this, a skillful hunter. Number two, an inept person. Anybody else have a hard time wrapping yourself around that? 
So if someone calls you a Nimrod, grab a hold of definition number one. You can say, thank you very much. That's right, I'm the mighty hunter. Don't give them the opportunity to define you as an inept person. So tonight, for the next few moments, I want to process through the idea, are you a Nimrod? Who would have ever thought that we could preach, are you a Nimrod? I want to look at how it applies to us and what, what we do with this idea. Three questions about a Nimrod. Number one, what does your name say about you? What does your name say about you? The thing that set this chapter apart from all of the others, we've got great stories in front and and great stories behind. The, The thing that sets this particular chapter, chapter 10, apart from all of the other, is the fact that each person is listed, they had a name, and that name was associated with them and them alone. Are you following me? It says, this person followed this person who followed this person, and then there was this person, this person's descendants were this and this and that and that, and suddenly right in the middle, it says there was this man by the name of Nimrod, a mighty warrior. I want you to understand tonight that your name is important. Maybe it's your first name, maybe it's your last name, but names are all important. Oftentimes a name can set you apart. It can give you an edge up. It can give you a step forward. Many times in the Bible we are told the meaning of people's names. Abraham, the father of many. Peter, is a rock. Jacob, holder of the heel. Esau, Harry. The list goes on and on. But here we see a, a timeline of names. Take a momentary pause on this man by the name of Nimrod. Now the name Nimrod does not actually translate to mean mighty warrior. It doesn't even translate to mean great hunter. That's simply what people were referring to him as, what people were actually calling him. You're like Nimrod. You're a mighty warrior. You're a great hunter. So we'll discuss this idea in just a moment. His name, by definition, simply means rebel. Rebel. Nimrod, the rebel, had a desire to rise above those around him. One commentary that I was reading stated this, that even or all of those around Nimrod were satisfied, they were content to stay on the level of where they were. They were content to stay level ground with everyone else around them. But Nimrod chose, this rebel chose to tower above, to rise above each and every one of them making a name for himself and that is what he did Nimrod a mighty warrior Nimrod the greatest hunter in all the world you see if you just read this section of Genesis if you isolate yourself to that moment it appears that Nimrod was a warrior for God after all many translations say Nimrod was a mighty hunter before God. 
So he was on God's team, right? Well, I want you to grab a hold of how he got this reputation as a mighty warrior, as a great hunter. If you read on, remember it says that Nimrod set up many great cities, many of which you'll recognize, the city of Nineveh. Do you remember Nineveh? The city of Babylon and many others. He also is credited for leading the charge on the construction of the Tower of Babel. I find it interesting, though, that Nimrod, this mighty hunter, this mighty warrior, this rebel, you ready for this, was the grandson of Noah's son, Ham. Now, what difference does that make? Track with me for just a moment. What was the shortfall of Ham? Do you remember? He was the one that walked in on naked Noah and went out and told his brothers. He's the one that, that dishonored his father. He himself embraced the rebellion. I would challenge you tonight, don't allow the shortfalls in your life to curse the generations that follow. Oh, now see, that was a good moment right there. In my, in my office, when I was processing through this, and I got to that moment, and I thought, wow, this rebel is a great descendant of Ham, who was also a rebel, uh, this, this rebellion that we see in Nimrod first surfaced in his great-grandpa, Ham. Oh, now see, you're still not wrapping yourself around that. Don't allow, let me say, let me say it again this way. Don't allow the shortcomings or shortfalls in your life to curse the generations that follow you. What sort of legacy are you leaving for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? What sort of legacy, what sort of line are you leaving for those that follow you? The, the family name that goes along with them. What's going on with that family name? It's time to break the chains that have you bound and the future generations bound. It's time to break the connect of that which has defined you perhaps for generation after generation, for year after year. The connection that is now potentially defining the generations that follow you. Well, pastor, this is how my family's always been. It doesn't have to be that way. It's time to break that bond. It's time to break that connection. How is that possible? We serve a God of miracles. We serve a, a God that is able to reach into your circumstance. We serve a God that is able to reach into that which has followed you for generation after generation. And he's able to break that connection. He's able to give you a brand new start. The Bible says that overwhelming victory is ours. That's all you got. Overwhelming victory is all oh, but pastor. By definition, my name means rebel. Who do you belong to? Because the Bible says that when you give yourself to Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come to life. 
If you are a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, I don't care what yesterday was like. I don't care how you were defined yesterday. I don't care what the family name once said about you. You are defined by that one that has grafted you into his family. It's time to change that which defines you. Nimrod chose to follow the path of his name. He chose to follow the rebellious life. He chose, even though he was not far removed from the ark and God's favor, he chose to follow the fate of his name rather than embrace the path and the plan of God. Again, we'll cover that more in a couple of weeks with the Tower of Babel. If we were honest with one another tonight, we can all partially relate to Nimrod. We fight with that which defines us on the inside. Romans chapter 7, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Yeah? Nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I really want to do what is right. I really want to go down the right path. But pastor, my name means rebel. That rebellious side, it keeps whispering in my ear. It keeps giving me ideas. It keeps taunting me day and night. It keeps toying with me. Nothing good dwells in me, in my flesh. I desire to do what's right, but I lack the ability. Nimrod, by definition, was a rebellious person. By family trait, he went against God's plan. He was successful in his dealings. Absolutely, he was successful. But his mode of attack was not pleasing to God. Again, we'll see that in chapter 11. But just like Nimrod, there's nothing good dwelling on the inside. There's this battle raging, as I mentioned earlier in the evening, between good and evil. Galatians chapter 5, the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Anybody else ever experienced that? Man, the, this, the sinful nature, that old lifestyle, every once in a while it, it rears its ugly head and it's going just the opposite direction of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are an opposite of that of the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So with this battle, what are we going to allow to define us? What are you going to allow to define you tonight? What are you going to cling to in your walk with God? Nimrod chose to cling to the rebellious lifestyle It was seen two generations earlier with his grandfather, Ham. Just think of the impact Nimrod could have made if he chose to follow his great-grandfather, Noah. Come on. 
What would have happened? Remember, Noah was the only blameless person on earth. The conversation in the heavenlies went something like this. I'm going to destroy them all. I've had it up to here. They're not following. Everything they do is evil. And someone says, what was it again? I know a guy. See, no one laughed the first time. I guess I had to repeat it. Thank you, Tristan. Noah, the only blameless person. Nimrod chose to follow after his grandfather rather than his great-grandfather. If you would combine the faith and the obedience of Noah with the confidence, ability, and determination of Nimrod, there's no telling how this story might have changed. Think about that. If you grabbed a hold of the obedience of Noah, the I don't know what this rain stuff is you're talking about. I know that I'm on dry land, but I'm going to build the ark because I trust you. I have faith that what you say is coming to pass. You bottle that together with the confidence, the ability, the determination of this mighty warrior, this great hero. No telling how the story might have changed. But Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Now that you know the right path, now that you know what you need to do, now that you know the difference between right and wrong, Throw off, cast off, get rid of that old nature. We're given a choice. Now that you know Jesus, it's time to turn his direction. Choose to cast off, to throw off that old nature. The very thing that once defined you. Well, my name means rebel. Cast it off. My name means anger. Cast it off. My name means lust, cast it off. My name means liar, cast it off. The lifestyle that you've been carrying around for some time. Maybe it's a lifestyle that you've chosen to carry due to to what was passed down from previous generations. It may be your last name that's haunted you. Well, you know how those grays are. You know about those Joneses. Don't allow that old name to define you any longer. There's an old hymn of the church that says this. There's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. There's a new name. There's a new name. What is that new name? No longer the same. You've been grafted into the family of God. It's time to begin to live with your new nature. But it's not just our name that defines us. Look at question number two. How does society define you? Society did not define Nimrod as rebellious. Society, for a time, saw him as a hero. Everyone wanted to be like Nimrod. Literally meaning a champion 
or someone who is superior in strength, someone who is mighty in courage. It was the name to be compared to. The one that everyone wanted to be. The one that went out conquering men and establishing empires. That was this Nimrod that was lifted up and almost idolized by society. Even though he was ruthless. Taking and destroying anything and everything that got in his way. He was successful in building a powerful empire. He was the powerhouse. Everyone wanted to be Nimrod. But something changed. Here we see this great warrior, this amazing hunter. Then many years down the road, another hunter. Another great warrior is mocked with the name Nimrod. And suddenly the entire definition flip-flops. No longer is Nimrod something you want to be. No longer is it a compliment when someone says, oh, you are such a Nimrod. No longer do we appreciate being called or referred to as a Nimrod. In fact, I would venture to say that there's not a single one of us in this room that would like being called Nimrod. Why? Because we've allowed society to redefine a Nimrod. It has gone from skillful hunter to inept person, a buffoon or even an idiot. No one wants to be compared to Elmer Fudd. He's been chasing the same rabbit for 70 plus years with zero success. It didn't take long for the crowd around Bugs Bunny to join in. Daffy Duck just loved to call Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. How have you allowed society to define or even redefine you? What are they saying about your actions? What are they saying about your responses? What are they saying about your behavior? How does society define you? Some of you have allowed their thoughts of you to lead your every day, to guide your every action. They call you a failure. They call you weak. They tell you that you'll never succeed. You'll never amount to anything at all. You're just a mess up. What is it that those around you are saying about you? Have they taken it upon themselves to define or redefine who you are? To give you a name that is really not who you are. You see, Nimrod meant rebellious but they redefined him as a mighty and heroic warrior. See, when I hear the word rebel, I don't normally think heroic. I don't think of a mighty hero. I think, be careful around them. They're untrustworthy. They're going against the grain. But here, everyone wanted to be a Nimrod. Everyone wanted to be just like him. They wanted to be 
the hero. They wanted to be the greatest warrior, the mighty hunter. But deep down, Nimrod was nothing more than a rebellious grandson of a trouble-stirring, disrespecting son. Let me restate that. I, I really want you guys to grab a hold of this tonight. Deep down, Nimrod was nothing more than a rebellious grandson of a trouble-stirring, disrespecting son. Some of you feel a little bit like this. Daily, you are haunted by your past, by your failures, by your struggles, to the point that you feel shackled by what has defined you year after year after year. I want you to know that when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer bound to who you were. But the question is this, will life always be perfect? No. Will you never make a mistake? No, you're still going to mess up. But you're not defined by those things any longer. You've been redeemed. You've been bought at a high price. It's time to step out of society's definition of who you are and move forward with what God has called you to be. Some of you need to step out of what society is saying about you. You need to step in to the defining factor of what God has called you to be. Again, he purchased you at a high price. He's called you by name. Even while you were in your mama's belly, he knew all about you. Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite, favorite scriptures of all, says don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you man we're so quick to let society transform but let god transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know god's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect man grab a hold of god's perfect will question number three How does God define you? See, God saw it important enough to stop this timeline of discussion to single out a man by the name of Nimrod. And I began to think about that. And this question came to mind. I began to type it out. And I want to ask you this question very quickly. Are you giving God a reason to single you out? If God was to begin to to line up the lineage of your family, he goes back several generations and begins to list that this person was born to this family and this person was born to this family. He's going down the line and he's just naming them boom, 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 boom. And then he gets to you. And then there's Tony, the mighty warrior of Sedalia. The one that everyone wanted to be like. Oh, to be Tony. Oh, to be Justin. If I could just be like Justin be like Melissa are you giving God a reason to pause 
Are you giving God a reason to single you out, to stop the lineage just to talk about you? You see, God chose to tell us about this man named Nimrod because he was not like everyone else. The rest of society was satisfied. They were content. They were happy just moseying along through life. But then there was this Nimrod. He chose to to rise above. He chose to be a mighty warrior. He chose to exude heroic action. Everyone wanted to be like Nimrod. It was a great compliment to be compared to him. He built some great powerhouse cities. He left a legacy. Let me ask you, how are you allowing God to define you. Ephesians 1.4 says this, even before he made the world, before he made the world, before he said, let there be lights, before he created the first little tree, before he separated the sky and the land, before he created little fish, water. Before he created Adam and Eve, God loved you. I want you to think about that. Before he spoke anything into existence, God chose to love And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He looked down at a world and he saw millions upon millions of people. And he says, you know what? I love them all. I choose you. And he sent Jesus to die. Time and time again throughout the Bible, God takes the time to rename people Abram, is Abraham. Saul is Paul. Jacob is Israel. The list goes on. Why? Why was this important? Because it was time for them to live by their new identity. They had a new life and a new name. What is that which God is calling you to be? What is that he wants to define you by? But for one reason or another, you keep running back to that old name. You keep running back to that old rebellious lifestyle. Several years ago, I was two different occasions, once in 2001, once in 2010, I was crying out to God and I remember the one in 2001, I was a youth pastor at the time and I had just taken some of my students to a a discipleship camp. It was something new that the district was trying that year. The students would have a lot of time in, in services. Then we'd go into the community and we would help the community with different projects. And I remember in one of those service times, the kids were all up front praying and they were 
pressing in for more of God. And I kind of found myself in the back of the room at Evangel University in Springfield in the, one of the upper rooms. And I'm, I'm praying, and God, what do you have for my life? God, I just don't know where I'm headed in life. God, I don't know what you have in store. And it's just as I'm speaking to you, God spoke to me and said, turn to Isaiah chapter 49. Now, let me just tell you, that doesn't happen all the time. But in this moment, he called me to turn to Isaiah. And I began to read, and it says this, The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. Nine years later, again, I'm crying out to God. And he sends me to Jeremiah 1.5. And I found it interesting how the two fit together. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Both instances, God said, I knew you before you were even born. Before you were formed in your mom's belly. I knew you. And I've called you by name. God has called you by name. Even before you were in the formative stage of life, God knew all about you. God had a plan for your life. God had a purpose for you. And I ask you tonight, whose name for you will you respond to? Will you respond to that which society calls you? That name that you've held on to for generations? Or will you respond to the name in which God calls you tonight? Some of you in this room need to make a shift in your definition of self. Let me say it again. You need to make a shift in your definition of self. You need to begin to walk in the definition that God set before you. A Nimrod was once a mighty warrior and just because of a cartoon changed to a buffoon. Nimrod as an individual had great traits. Some traits that could have, if directed correctly, allowed him to be a mighty man of God. But he chose to listen to the definition given in his name and became consumed by the definition given by the influence of those around him. I believe tonight it's time to begin to believe the name given by God. ask you again are you giving God a reason to pause in your life your day to day life are you giving God a reason to pause